You're listening to Sermon Cast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. Uh, today we begin the amazing journey of Lent. So many of you know, uh, some people were like, hey, I, I thought we were a low church kind of place. They didn't know this was a Catholic church. Uh, guess what? Lent doesn't belong to, and the church year calendar doesn't belong exclusively to higher church. We Nazi Protestants can use the calendar as well. Uh, it predates Pope Leo's claim that all Christianity came through Rome. Um, and so um, the, the calendar is just a sweet, simple time of year. How many of you need a remembrance uh, check in your head every once in a while? Uh, we need to remember, right? And so there's churchier seasons that we celebrate, and one of them is Lent. And, uh, and the reason why this one's so important is because the cross is everything to us. Amen? Amen. Uh, I want, this is what I hate. I hate running into Easter so busy that I have not prepared my heart and not prepared my mind for what Easter really is. Easter is not chocolate bunnies, or for those of you that are weird and sadistic, chocolate crosses, whatever you get your children. That was a joke. It is kind of odd if you think about it for a minute. We've done that before, right? And we have done it before, Jen. Jen was, Jen was going through phases. Um, <laughs> We were trying to do the most Christian thing. And so, yeah, uh, chocolate cross, chocolate instrument of death with cherry filling was great. Um, But the cross is everything for us, and we don't want to run into Easter blindly. And the season of Lent is set up uh, 46 days, um, but it doesn't, Sundays don't include, aren't aren't included in the overall count. Observed for 40 days, runs up to Easter, uh, starts on Ash Wednesday, so we've already begun. Uh, It's a season for leading up to Easter, which Christians symbolically follow Christ into the wilderness fasting from lesser things so we might be filled with the greater things of the gospel. So you all see uh, for a lot of uh, Catholic church folks and stuff, they start running all the, um, start running all the uh, chicken or the fish ads on TV. If you notice that once a year, all the Burger King fish sandwich and the McFish, they all make a comeback. Uh, that's why, because a lot of people fast from uh, beef and stuff like that through, um, through, uh, through Lent. And so you'll see that. Um, unfortunately, Lent has become uh, kind of an empty ritual for a lot of people. It's just about, oh gosh, here comes this 40-day season where I've got to give something up and uh, and go get ashes on my head and all that stuff. And, and in the end, um, not that there's anything wrong with the symbolism and that stuff, it's great. But in the end, the, the bigger problem is the cross is everything for us, whether we remember it or not. Amen? And so this journey of um, 40 days and the 46 days total of Lent is literally designed. Uh, scriptures are picked and stuff like that. There's, there's scriptures. They change every three years. There's three years in the church year calendar, A year, B year, C year. Um, and so there's different scriptures uh, every year that go through some of the same stories over and over and over again, not to bore you, but to remind you and to stir your heart and to stir the mission of your heart that we are, we, this is a season to get low and think about the cross. We are on a journey to the cross with Christ because he is our everything. Amen? So um, in the ancient church, Lent was also a time for new converts to be instructed for baptism. 
and for believers caught in sin to focus on repentance. In time, all Christians came to see Lent as a season to be reminded of their need for penance, or, uh, penance and to prepare spiritually for the celebration of Easter. And we'll do the same. We will open up the church for baptisms on Easter Sunday. We don't do that all the time. We only a few times a year. If you have not been baptized, um, you should be baptized. And I would rather have a conversation with you about that, though. It is literally, baptism is not a sprinkling thing. It's not a thing. It's a full immersion. And it's a celebration and remembrance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so when you get baptized, you are saying, I am. I belong to the Lord. I've been crucified with him, resurrected with him. On, uh, 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 resurrected with him. You like that? Any interpretation for that this morning? Dang it. Um, but in its clearest form, um, if you want to get baptized, you can talk to myself or one of our pastors, house church pastors. We love to talk about that. We always have some kids and some adults that uh, really want to jump in. Uh, so in the clearest form, Lent is a sweet time of preparation for believers to focus on the cross. Now, isn't that morbid to think about a whole season about focusing on this instrument of death? Yes, that's exactly why we focus on it. We, well, we talk about Christ the victor a lot. We also need to focus on Christ the victim. Amen? There's two pieces in it. Christ the victor who reigned over death but Christ the victim we lower our heads to know listen your son that was your son your sin that was paid for uh, on the cross cost someone someone something it cost somebody something it cost Jesus's life he gave up stepped out of heaven into this earth took abuse walked on this earth did ministry on this earth sacrificed for us shut his mouth for us when he could have in a second whooped up the angels of heaven to come and stir and protect him he didn't he went to the cross and he was death, burial, and resurrection for our freedom. Amen? And so we do focus on the hard things of it because that is our story. Our story is the cross of Christ. That is the only way we're sitting here. Look at your, morning, look at your neighbor and just say, that's why you're here. Philippians 3.10, that was very spirited, by the way. Thank you for that. All right here. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Amen. Our text today is Matthew chapter 4. If you want to grab your Bibles, how many paper Bibles we got this morning? Woo, Philip, two. That's good. Two, two. All right. Hey, I really encourage you, uh, especially as we're going to this new season, really pressing into Jesus. And I know guys like Ty and I, we have to get the giant print Bible. Like, it's like this, just for the New Testament. Jesus said, and then, and so, uh, but uh, there's something about having a paper Bible where you can write down, write in your notes and underline and score. I know we all use our phones, but I would encourage some of you really to get back into using a paper Bible for your study time so you can just kind of write out stuff and highlight things that the Holy Spirit highlights to you. Amen. So our big idea for this week is, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, through the power and example of our suffering and triumphant Savior, we can stand on the truth of his word and overcome the enemy in every season and trial. Amen. So Jesus has just been baptized. It's Matthew chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> amazing things happen. Uh, number one, Jesus comes out of the water in baptism. The heavens were opened to him, the scripture said. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests on him, which is pretty cool. You hear the voice of the Father come thundering from heaven, and he says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And it's the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And exactly from that place, right from that place after his baptism, all this holy, uh, amazing, 
amazing thing happened. The God's voices spoke. Uh, things are thundering. Uh, Jesus is anointed. And then Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, we'll just start with verse, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What a ministry launch. Woohoo! Right? You're baptized. You're, you're all set. The Lord has anointed you. And the first thing that happens, and I want you to check this. What, who, who led him into the wilderness to be tempted? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that an interesting situation? When you think about that for a little minute, um, this is your shiny, happy Jesus in a box. This is where Job theology doesn't match up. People get very confused when they think about this. Why on earth would the Spirit lead Jesus out to be tempted? Why would he lead him to be tempted? Was it to uh, make sure he was ready for ministry? No, he'd already had God's approval, right? Uh, was it just because God's a smitey smiterton and he wanted to make Jesus trip up and, and fall down? The answer is no. Here's what I think, and I think that most scholars agree. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted to demonstrate how we can resist temptation to sin and how through Christ's power we too can overcome. He's our witness, amen? Um, he's an example of dependence on the word of God. Everything that he goes through right now, he only answers with the word of God. He's our example prepare, uh, to prepare for his ministry. Now the question is, does Jesus allow us in the places where we can be tempted? Yes. yes. We are led into places to be tempted. If Jesus was led into places to be tempted, we're led into places to be tempted. Now why would he do that to us? So, we're, so we'd fall because he enjoys watching us screw up. Right? He really enjoys you falling on your face and not being able to deal. No, it's, it's a joke. It's to build faith. It's dependence. It's just like Jesus' witness, reliance on him that you can resist the devil and his lies. So we get put into places sometimes. By the way, sin comes and temptation comes because the world is broken and fallen. But the Lord takes us and allows us to be in places where we're tempted. And by the way, if you turn on the TV, you're tempted. You turn on your computer, you're tempted. You walk down the street, you're tempted. There's temptation all over the place. Amen. But listen to this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Say faithful. faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. So what did that just say? You'll never be tempted beyond your ability. You'll never be tempted beyond your ability to say no. You always have an option. You always have a way out. It's spirit-led and driven. So even though we get taken into places where temptation comes, it's not for us to fail. It's actually for you to succeed. Amen? There is power in the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Uh, we can resist the devil. This is what this whole journey and this whole story is about, is being able to risk the devil. Sometimes I think some of us act like we're yo-yos of the devil, and every time he blows in the wind, we're bouncing all over the place, when in the end, we, we don't have to be bounced around by the enemy and his schemes, amen? We don't have to be bounced around by the flesh or the world and their schemes, amen? We are Christ, Christ crucified. We are the righteousness of God. And there are some other parallels here. And so when you read through this, there's more than just one image going on. The first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam was who? Adam. All right. And the second, bang. All right. And the second Adam was? Is Jesus. There's a comparative in the scriptures where the first Adam brought death and the second Adam brought life. And so if we see in here, both were in the wilderness, both were tempted by the same enemy. One brought death and the other brought life and victory. First Corinthians 15:45 says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Amen. 
Uh, Wearsby says this, Adam met Satan in a beautiful garden, but Jesus met him in a terrible wilderness. Adam had everything he needed, but Jesus was hungry for 40 days of fasting. Adam lost the battle and plunged humanity into sin and death, but Jesus won the battle and went on to defeat Satan in more battles, culminating in his final victory on the cross. Amen? Amen. We're more than conquerors. It's another reason why uh, I believe that it's true from the scriptures of why uh, he allows us to go through these things. And why did he go through these things? Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in need. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's fully God. Say fully God. Fully and fully man. Fully. He understands temptation. Amen? And so that's why some people will get into this deity thing. Well, Jesus was just a, Jesus was God on earth just doing his godly things. No, Jesus was fully flesh and fully man. He's alpha and omega. He's lion and lamb. He's both. Amen? So he's fully man. So another reason why we see Jesus get tempted in the wilderness is to show that he has everything in common with us. He went through the same temptations we went through, the same opportunities to stumble as we do, and he came out in victory. Amen? Verse 2 says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is where the waffle story applies. Okay, so fasting for 40 days. Why? He was in a time of preparation, okay? Uh, fasting, going without food or a worldly need or wanting um, or want and filling a void with greater desire, concentration on God. 40 days, there's this deep fulfillment in the word of everything that Jesus does. His humanity, um, he was hungry. Were you hungry after 40 days? Anybody in here done a one-day fast and you're ready to eat your child's arm off? Amen. All right. Praise God. You get a little grouchy. Amen. <laughs> oh, I'm fasting. I'm spiritual. Amen. Uh, but he was hungry. Um, and so um, verse 3, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what was the temptation that the enemy brought? And I, this is what I call it. He brought him the temptation to doubt and to do things for himself. The enemy is suave at coming and making us doubt. And I believe that the devil uh, came, we see the devil came and, and searches him out. The scriptures say he's like a prowling lion looking for us to devour us to, to devour, right? So he's on mission. Um, but uh, Spurgeon says this, but let us do what we will. We shall be tempted. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son without temptation. Ow! Temptation is a part of our life. And so Jesus, um, he's in this place and he's just been anointed by the Lord. He's just been baptized. And then all of a sudden, there's this attack from the enemy when he had been immersed and proclaimed from the Father. And I will say this. We have to consider his state as he's, being, as he's in this place with the devil. He was especially devout frame of mind for, for temptation because he's been fasting and been with the Father. He was engaged in a public act of obedience, just been uh, baptized. He was exceedingly humble frame of mind before his temptation. He was blessed by a heavenly assurance 
appearance of sonship before temptation. He was filled with the Holy Spirit before his temptation. He was completely separated from the world before his temptation. And at that moment, when Jesus was on his game, the enemy comes. How many times have we seen people be baptized? We've seen people make strides forward in their faith and in their walk, and all of a sudden, shellac. Amen? Anybody ever experienced that? We used to call it the diner or the dip and dash around here. We get people that are coming like, I love Jesus. God, I want to get baptized. I'm all in. I want to be discipled. And they get baptized and they start walking with the Lord. And all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. And we lose them because they fall right out the back door. Amen. That is not a joke. Some of you will say, well, how come when I became a Christian and started following Jesus, things got harder? That's how it works. (laughs) Because you become a threat. Because you become, it, the devil doesn't have to do anything if you're just going to keep your nose in your phone and keep doing the things that are inappropriate and break the heart of God. He doesn't have to do anything. What does he have to do? Whisper to us every once in a while. But the moment he sees you starting to stretch and starting to move towards the Lord, guess what? He comes because he hates you, because he doesn't want you to be close to the Father, because he doesn't want you to be connected with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, here was his weapons. The enemy also hits Jesus right where his weakness is. So we've gone from his strength to his weakness. He's also hitting him with hunger. How many of you know if you have a porn addiction, the, the Lord is not going to, I mean, the Lord. Sorry about that. The enemy is not going to come and tantalize you with little things that don't mess with you. The enemy is going to come and mess with you in your lust. Amen. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was starving 40 days. And all of a sudden, uh, what does the devil come and start tempting him with? Uh, yeah. And he also quotes him with doubting. So that, were, that was his weapons. His weapons, uh, again, another one was doubting God. This doesn't say uh, the question is there, are you the son of God? It reads like this. Since you are the son of God, where is he? Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beast of the field, and the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, God, did, did God actually say you shall not eat from the tree in the garden? We see this story parallel in the garden. It's doubt. Number one on the thing with the enemy, what he can start doing. Your, how many of you know that the enemy can't make you do anything? He can't make you do anything. All he can do is cause you to doubt. I, when, uh, I heard a pastor one time say the devil can't push you off the side of the boat, but he can make you jump. Amen. You understand that? Like you understand what we're talking about? Like the enemy comes with doubt that he can't take away anything spiritually. How many times has he come prowling around and whispering to you the doubt, the things of God? Rob, you're his. You've given your life in ministry and, and you and Jen have gone without. How come you're suffering or why are you having another physical affliction? And why? Where is God when he said he was always going to be there for you? Where are all these promises that God had? How many times has the Lord, has the Lord um, 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 not come through for you? Where is he? supposed to be here for you. All of a sudden, how many times have we heard the devil talk to us like that? The devil is crafty. He comes in the moments of our weakness and he starts to plant seed in our head. Now, here's the thing. The only way that you can combat that is how? The truth of God's word. Amen. You can't, you can't, I I always love John Piper. He says, what on earth am I going to hit the devil with? The only thing I can punch the devil with is the word of God. And that's what Jesus does. Amen. It's the only thing you can punch the devil in the face with the word of God. Take what the enemy is whispering to you, line it up to the scriptures, ask the Holy Spirit for some refining grace. And if it's garbage, put it in the doo-doo pile. Everybody say doo-doo pile. You should have an enormous doo-doo pile in your brain. Well, 
That's not actually the way I learned it from my spiritual mentor. It was another word. Um, but okay, so I'll call it the baloney pile. You should have a big pile of baloney in your head. And what it is, is every time something comes away in your brain that's garbage, throw it away. We spend so much time believing the doubt and the lies of the punk enemy when the scriptures are clear. I am the righteousness of God. I'm sons and daughters. We're adopted. We have purpose. I'm here for a reason. He knows the hairs on my head. He knows every day I'm going to live, every breath I'm going to take. That is the truth. If, that, if, if what I've been whispered to is not that, it's garbage, and you have permission to throw it out. Baloney pile. The problem is some of us build houses and castles on our piles of baloney. Some of us build houses on them. We call them truth when they're not. When the scripture says just the opposite and you walk around defeated and uh, all the time and that's not God's heart for you. Don't build houses on baloney. What about, that's going to be a t-shirt. Don't build your house on bologna. Okay. Amen. Um, what does he tell them to do? Command these stones to become bread. Do it yourself. Use your divine power and your physical needs. He also tempts them with self-sufficiency and carnal gratification. Whereas we said again, some decent words we quotes on this. He says, when we put our physical needs ahead of our spiritual needs, we sin. That's what a sin is. When you put your physical needs above your spiritual needs, it becomes sin. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Jesus wasn't there to do his will, though. Listen, John 5, 30, Jesus says, I can, I, can't, I, can do, excuse me, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Maybe it's not God's will for us to have certain things in certain seasons. Amen? His way is way better. Um, Jesus' reply, how does he answer him? He answers him, Literally with Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The full text in Deuteronomy 8.2-3 says this, you shall remember the whole, the whole way that your Lord God has led you for these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know that what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Um, which you did not know, nor did your, did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This fast for Jesus is another foreshadowing of those 40 years of Jesus and God providing uh, for God's people. Amen? Verse 5, it moves on and says this. So we got through temptation number one. Uh, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So this was the temptation to test God. By the way, that verse is so clear. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up unless you strike your foot against a stone. That foreshadows to the cross, amen, where Jesus' body, when he's broken, um, excuse me, 
uh, when they go to, um, excuse me, when they go to pierce him in his side, he's on the ring, his body isn't broken, his body is brought down whole. Um, this kind of fulfills that. Um, and the temptation is to take, to take God to the test. He takes him to Jerusalem. The devil says, oh, you trust God? Well, do this and see what he'll do. Then he quotes scripture in response to Jesus quoting it in Psalms 91. He twists the word from a true verse that is a test verse. Listen, the Lord... Uh, is good and his word is pure. The enemy knows the word better than you and the enemy will twist God's word and make you believe things that are not true. Amen? Here he is tempting Jesus with, he says, hey, he says, uh, throw yourself down. The scriptures say the angels will come and protect you. And by the way, we see that the angels come and protect Lord, uh, come and worship the Lord from the time of his very birth. Amen? Let's see if you do this small thing and if God will protect you. And he tries to lure him into selling out his future purpose and glory for a momentous sign. How many times do we face this temptation to test God? Um, Jesus answers him with this. He says, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. Exodus 17 has an interesting thing. That's not the whole text. The whole text says, you shall not put your Lord God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Does anybody remember what happened at Massa? Of course, Massa. Mass is not one of those coffee cup places or verses, amen. Nothing sexy about it. Exodus 17, 1 through 3 says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness by, of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim. And, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? <laughs> Exodus 17, 7 goes on and says, And he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of, of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is this the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Forgetful and whiny Israel. What is saying here in Exodus is by their wine and by their um, commanding Moses to provide for them because, listen, they just went through they went through 40 years of being uh, in the desert, God providing manna from heaven, fire, you know, fire by night. And stuff. They went through, they just survived going through um, uh, the Red Sea and being parted in two, and they're complaining again, and they're kicking against God, and Moses calls that testing. They're testing the Lord, forgetful, whinal Israel. This, here's the point. Don't test your daddy. Everybody understand what I'm saying? How many times when we start to whine, and how do we test God? What about complaining about where he is when you, when you should absolutely know? We'll talk about testing God, complaining and whining all the time about where's God? He's supposed to do this, supposed to do this. You know where God is? God is exactly where God is supposed to be. God is in his sovereign place, in the sovereign way. We test him by, uh, what about this? What about, what about relationships? I haven't hit on this for a while. What about getting into unequally yoked relationships? Well, I'm a believer in Jesus, and this guy or this gal, they don't love Jesus, but I'm pretty sure I could turn them around. Guess what happens in that scenario? More times than not, misery. People yoke themselves. You are testing God when you yoke yourself to someone expecting God. You go against God's word, period. Don't be unequally yoked, period. 
period. There's no, well, he went to church four times and um, he hasn't swore that much this month. It doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about being yoked to somebody who's fully and dedicated themselves to Jesus. And Jesus is their love offering. Jesus is their love life. Jesus is their love language. And you yoke yourself with that. When you don't yoke yourself with another person with the same heart in your relationships, guess what happens? You end up with another story about how things suck and how you're lonely and how God isn't seeming to meet your needs, which is nonsense. Amen? Sorry for anybody that's in a weird relationship. By the way, if you're in one of those relationships, let me tell you, I didn't mean it. Just kidding. Get out of it. Knock it off. Amen? By the way, the Lord has something better for you. You have to believe that. You have to believe that God has something better for you. Or he's not the God of the Bible. Amen? Um, also, another one I thought about about testing God is when we, when we don't walk in faith and we require signs. Like, God, just, just prove to me you're here. And if you see a miracle, great. But if not, you know, we're kind of living without it. I remember Jimmy, um, not Jimmy, uh, uh, our Jimmy, but Jimmy, our leader over our movement, Jimmy Seibert, they were in Iceland and they were doing, in the late 80s, and they were doing an outreach uh, to this kids camp. <clears throat> and... Um, uh, the whole week, they had hard-hearted kids, and they were preaching the gospel. They are playing soccer with them during the day, and all these things were happening. And uh, all of a sudden, on the last night, uh, and I've, I've told this story before, but on the last night, um, they preached the gospel this one last time, and all these kids were on their bunk beds and stuff and just sitting up and just doing their normal thing, barely paying attention. And uh, he came out, and he said, listen, uh, we're going to worship one last time. Uh, there's any of you in here, stir of your heart for Jesus, the stir of your heart for God and his holiness and for something. If you want to come and repent, now is the time. Our time is almost done. And so they started playing worship and they sat there and it went whew, pure dark. Nobody moved. And all of a sudden out of the back, and I don't know why I remember this part, but this tubby guy, maybe just because it resonates with my heart. This young man, these are, these are middle school age kids, pumps off his bed, and as he's walking to the front of the room, he falls on his face and he begins to repent before the Lord. That night, the whole room erupted with repentance. All of these kids came and gave their lives to the Lord. All of these kids came worshiping Jesus for the first time ever. And Jimmy said, which is a great part of the story, but Jimmy went outside and said, God, why did you have to, why did you wait all week for that to happen? Why did it have to be now? And he said, I remember the Lord's words to me clearly. He says, miracles are for them. I'm enough for you. Miracles are for them. I'm enough for you. Um, if you're not seeing something miraculous happen in your life um, and you're kicking against it, yeah, you could be testing God, but B, it's your perspective. Listen, every breath is a gift from God. Every person in your life is a gift from God. Your babies are a gift from God. Everything on your back is a gift from God. Miracles are all over the place. I, I love how oh, I never see God working. I'm just like, just walk around looking at people breathing all day. That's a miracle, amen? <laughs> thank you, God. <laughs> oh, thank you for that one, God. You know what I mean? Like, no, that would be kind of cool if you can get into worshiping God for every breath. Okay, good. Some of you breathe, breathe faster than others. 
And as we turn the corner, verse 8 says, And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And I call this the temptation of shortcuts. Um, he takes him to this high place, looks out over all the kingdoms. It's powerful. He offers them to him. The devil says, bow down just one time. Uh, never mind all that you're going to go through, not all the stuff that you're going to have to suffer. Just bow down one time, and I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. Bow down just once. And you got to see, as you read through the scripture, the devil's only wanted a couple things, worship and recognition. That's what the devil longs for. He wants to be worshipped like God. If you read through Isaiah 14, a very interesting text on, on, the enemy, on the enemy, it says this, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Who's he talking about? The devil. Here's the thing. Uh, the enemy just wants you to worship him. But worship doesn't have to be, I pledge my allegiance to the red guy, right? I, I love the devil. That People think that, that that's worship. It's not. You, anything counterbalancing giving your whole life to the Lord is giving him props. You understand what I'm saying? Like there's no middle ground in the scripture. You're for him or against him. Before him or against him. And so everything else that we give um, uh, um, um, is a shortcut. He wants that worship and recognition. Uh, there are no shortcuts in the will of God. If we want to share in the glory, we must also share in the sufferings. Just because God allows me to go through hard things doesn't mean that he's good or not. This is an age-old question that should make you roll your eyes in this house because we talk about it all the time. Why can a good God allow people to go through such hard things, good people to go through hard things. Guess what? It is God's grace and gift that he takes us through hard things. He knows 1 Peter 5.10, right? And the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory through Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a little while, he himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The devil's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut and get momentary glory. When in, in the same way, the devil kind of comes and takes us to get a shortcut and have momentary glory. But he wants worship. But here's the thing. Worship is a response out of suffering as much as it is anything else. When we suffer, everybody say suffer. Suffer. It is the grace of God. Jesus was there for a point. Jesus came to what? Suffer. Jesus came to suffer. Jesus was there to suffer on our behalf. And so if you think about that for a minute, that suffering piece, when we take shortcuts and we, try to, we want to try to blot out going through a hard situation or a season, or we want to self-medicate ourselves from a hard season or trial, we end up robbing ourselves of something. It's a shortcut. There's no shortcuts through it. Guess what? Pain sucks. Jesus is better. Let me say that again. Pain sucks. Jesus is better. Though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, what happens? I fear no evil because he's with me. Because he's with me. And Jesus' response is this, just classic. You shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. Satan didn't say anything about service, but Jesus knew that whether we, what we worship, we serve. 
And he says, be gone. This is why I love James 4, 7. Uh, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, You are so powerful in Christ Jesus because you have the power to resist the enemy, even though he seems to have owned you for a long period of time in different ways. You realize you can say no to him. That's the point. One of the biggest points of this whole section of scripture, that Jesus, although he was God, was fully man, full of the Holy Spirit, same spirit, is the same spirit in you, right? The same God that has proclaimed you to be his sons and daughters um, is the same one that's in you. And we have the opportunity and the, and the power to resist the devil. Well, how come he owns me? I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe it's something that you should revisit <laughs> and, uh, and think about a little bit. So then in verse 11, angels, um, the devil left him. The devil did what? And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This wasn't the last time. Luke 4.13, it says this in Luke's account of the story. It says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Uh, the enemy wasn't done, and the enemy's not done with you. Amen? Here's some things just to recap on here. Number one, Jesus is amazing. When we are tempted to doubt God, remember that he's faithful. I bet if you could sit down with me and I with you, we could sit across from each other and talk about the things that you're doubting. I can point to a thousand more stories in your life where God was good and came through. I bet I could. With with ease. And you could do the same with me. God has always been good. And the devil doesn't own you for making you doubt. Um, The presence of doubt, by the way, isn't a sin. It's believing in it. Right? Right? We all battle with doubt. We all battle with faith issues. That's normal. What you do with it is is the war. Amen? Uh, We need to know God's word. Getting by on a couple coffee cup verses won't do it. Memorizing God's word, scripture in your heart, at least paraphrasing something, knowing what God's word actually says. And if you don't know what it says, know where to find it. Amen. Be careful of Google theology, right? It's good, but you never know. Pay attention to what translation you're getting into and all of those things. But that can end up scary, right? We've, we had a guy one time here at the church a long time ago that was throwing out all these quotes on, online to the church. He's like, hey, church, we need to be doing this. And and when we looked, one of our guys said, hey, pastor, uh, the guy's, guy's translation is the New World Translation. And I said, and I said the what? New World Translation. And this guy was rebuking people with it. And, and in the end, he looked, and, and what is the New World Translation, Brian? Huh? It's Jehovah's Witness Bible. And he had no idea. He had, he had no idea that this wasn't the Word of God. You have to be careful with the Word of God and what you're reading and what you know and what you have in heart so you could be able to punch the devil. Amen? Um, we don't need to test God in anything. Having his love and grace is a miracle, so we live by faith. We don't need to take shortcuts to avoid pain and struggle because on the other side, there is so much more than we could ever see now. Listen, I'm going through this thing, physical thing, even right now. My neck is wanting to point down. My legs hurt. Couldn't stand up for that long if I wanted to. Listen, I've got to look at this thing. When I told our group Wednesday night, our house church Wednesday night, I was like, I have a choice right now. I'm going to go through this thing how I go through it is going to be on me. 
because uh, healing comes in the name of the Lord. He already knows my prognosis. He already knows what's up. He already knows the days of my life. How I survive and how I deal with it is on me. So right now, as I go through, as I'm getting ready to go through something or nothing, whatever it is, something or nothing, I have the opportunity to trust God. He's not, uh, you know, not put him to the test to walk with him. I don't need a shortcut. Do I want to avoid the pain? Yes. I want to avoid a nasty prognosis. I want to avoid a yada, yada, yada. But in the end, he's got me. Do I really believe that? Matter of fact, I should be saying, thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to remind myself that you're just and you're worthy. And I don't need to doubt you. Amen. And last but not least, um, you can resist the enemy. It's possible. He doesn't own anybody. There's so many people. We've had people come in here with bad demonology over the years where, ah, my house is full of demons. And blah, blah, blah. Like, do you realize the authority that you have in Jesus' name? Like, we've been on missions trips and seen the devil work in ways that we don't see him work here. Doesn't, doesn't, we don't flagrantly see him do just, just massive attack and witchcraft and stuff like that. And people, and I always just tell people, whether I'm with a group of people who are on a missions trip or something, my answer is always the same. Do you know who you are? You have the authoritative word of God. The spirit of God lives in you. You are his child. You have authority over the darkness. And you can speak into that. Amen. Back to the boom. Through the power and example of our suffering and triumphant Savior, we can stand on the truth of his word and overcome the enemy in every season and trial. Amen. Amen. As we go into a time of worship this morning, um, just thinking about this. And I feel like some of us in this room have been... Uh, the best way to put it. I think we've been owned. I think we've been owned by the words and the temptation of the enemy. And I think this morning is a good opportunity. If you feel like you have just been so doused in over your head with, with attack and doubt and, and, and wanting to skip suffering and all these things, just trying to get a way out and you're doubting God, I feel like the Lord is saying today is, today is the day to reconcile. Today is the day to come back and trust me again at my feet. Today is the day to lay down those relationships that you're trying to force to work, trying to lay down the scenario that you're trying to make work and just trust me and come back into my arms and be my son or daughter. And as we worship, if there's anything else this morning, we'll have people that'll come up and pray for you that are here. Um, but as we worship, as the Holy Spirit leads, whatever going, if he gives you a word for somebody in the room, get up and go share. If you need to come down and just kneel at the front and just be with the Lord. Um, if you need to re-up with the Lord and remember the authority God has given you over the enemy. If you need to tell the enemy right now who's whispering in your ear to shut up and go away in Jesus' name, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, do it. You have that authority and that power. He doesn't have to own you anymore. Holy Spirit, God, we just come and we just say, Jesus, come have your way. Um, say, Jesus, um, thank you for being that witness. Thank you for showing us that by the power of the same Holy Spirit that lives in us, where the devil comes and tempts us with doubt, with shortcuts, taking things into our own hands, 
that we can overcome. Lord, I just want to come on behalf of those of us in this room who have been owned by the lies of the enemy. God, we come and we repent. Jesus, we lay those things down at your feet. God, we're sorry for taking our eyes off of you just even for a second. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thankful that you're here with us right now. Sometimes prodigal sons and daughters aren't just men and women who have physically run away or out uh, selling dope or something. Sometimes prodigal is just a heart mindset of not trusting you. Trying to figure things out on our own and spending our inheritance of faith in places where the currency doesn't match. Lord, I pray that you would welcome us back home again this morning. God, I pray for marriages in this house. We pray for physical healing in this house, Lord. We pray for those of us this morning sensing dealing with depression and maybe even thoughts of suicide, Lord Jesus. We just pray in Jesus' name that you would come and reign and thwart those lies. Lord, we love you and we want to respond and obey. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. As church said, would you stand and let's worship together this morning?